Okay, I think I know the answer to this, but how many of you went Black Friday shopping? Just as I suspected. How many of you got online and purchased something for Black Friday? All right, we got a few of you that did that. I did that. I I went online and bought some iPhone charging cords because we're out around our house. So, what, Eli, did you buy one of those too? Uh, well, it, it was exciting. Trust me. Trust me. Thanks for being a part of the service this morning, Eli. I appreciate you. Well, this morning we are beginning our Christmas study, and as you just see here up on the screen, our, our theme this year is an impossible Christmas, how the impossible became possible. In Luke one thirty seven, the angel of the Lord declares these words to Mary. In Luke, um, we read, for nothing will be impossible with God. Those, were, those would be the words that Mary clung to, and I pray those same words will be the words that we cling to this Christmas. So say with me, nothing is impossible with God. Say, you ready? Nothing is impossible with God. How many of you have ever been told that something was impossible? Probably all of us. Or how many of you have ever told some, someone that something was impossible? We've probably done that before too. But do you realize that almost everything that has been invented once was seen as an impossibility? Someone dreamed it, but the dream did not become possible until new technologies were invented um, to make that dream a reality. When you think about the Christmas story, there is impossibility after impossibility that became possible. In fact, the Old Testament is full of what seemed to be impossible prophecies, words declaring that Jesus would come. And what's so crazy is so many people knew these prophecies. They had read them and studied them. And when those prophecies were coming true, um, prophecy after prophecy with Jesus is coming, they were left dumbfounded, not believing what they were seeing. Um, Think about some of these prophecies. In Genesis chapter 3, we are told that Jesus would come to defeat Satan. In Genesis chapter 12, we are told that Jesus would come from the line of Abraham. In 2 Samuel 7, he would establish an eternal kingdom as David's offspring. In Isaiah 7, he would be born of a virgin. In Micah 5, he would be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 9, his ministry would begin in Galilee. In Isaiah 61, he will set the captives free. In Exodus 12, he would be the pastor over lamb. In Psalm 118, the grave would not be able to hold him. In Psalm 68, um, we are told that, that, that Jesus would ascend from which he descended heaven. There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus, and you can be certain that every single one of them will be fulfilled. This morning, we're going to look at an impossible plan, and we're going to do this as we look at Jesus' family tree together found um, in Matthew chapter 1. Some may think that this is a rather odd place to begin a Christmas sermon series. But even though these verses may be full of a bunch of names we cannot pronounce and even some names that we may never have even heard of, what Matthew is doing is he's establishing Jesus' right to Israel's throne. This genealogy is important because it gives proof that Jesus Christ indeed is the promised Messiah. So let's read together in Matthew chapter 1. As I tell you all the time as we read through genealogies, um, 
I'm going to butcher some names here, so please forgive me in advance. So let's read together, beginning of verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon. And Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of um, Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconah. And Jacona his bro- uh, and, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jacona was the father of um, Sheatel, and Sheatel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Elakim, and Elakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of um, Ahem, and Ahem the father of Elihun, and Elihun the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Man, those are a lot of names covering hundreds <clears throat> yeah, covering hundreds of, of, of years. Um, I, I've learned that if you read that fast enough, then nobody realizes that you're butchering the name. So um, our message point this morning is this. What we see as impossible, God made possible. Notice our first point this morning. Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. In verse 1, again, we read the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Translated, this means the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Matthew wanted his readers to understand that history forever changed when Jesus burst into it. Even though Matthew begins with Abraham and David, I want us to remember that the first promise of Jesus' coming into the world occurred right after Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden sin, or forbidden fruit and committed that first sin back in Genesis chapter 3. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, we read, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 15 is often referred to by theologians as um, um, the proto-evangelium. This word means the first advancement of the gospel or the first time in scripture that we read of the coming of the Messiah and the work that he was going to do. Adam and Eve were going to be punished for their sin. Not only were they punished, but all of us in this room and everyone outside the doors of this church, everyone that's ever lived in human history were punished because of that first sin as well. But 
they, as us, were not without hope. They knew that Jesus would come into human history and he would defeat the one whose lie they had bought into, the devil. God's plan was for Jesus to come and provide a way for each of us in this room, sins to be forgiven. In order for this to happen, his birth had to be supernatural. He could not be born from the seed of man because from man, sin is passed from one person to the next. He had to come from the tribe of Judah. He had to come after the order of Melchizedek from his priestly line. He had to live a perfect life. He had to die a sinner's death. He had to defeat death and the grave. And we know that by resurrecting to life again, he proved once and for all that he indeed was the Son of God, the Messiah. Our second point this morning is this. Jesus was God's plan for our redemption. When it comes to our family trees, most of us in this room have some pretty shady characters that, that, that are in it. Most of us in this room probably have that crazy uncle or that crazy re- relative that somehow embarrasses us every time that we gather around the table, right? How many of you have that person, okay? How many are that person, Larry Sherman? Raise your hand, Larry Sherman. I know that you are that crazy uncle, or that crazy grandfather, or something like that, right? But um, if we were to reach back far enough, most of us would have outlaws in our families, criminals, murderers, adulterers, and thieves. We would expect our line to be a bit shady because we're a bunch of sinners, right? But when we think about the family line of Jesus, we would think that his line would be perfect that it would be made up of um, maybe not sinless people, but pretty close to being sinless people. But that's not the case at all. It is a line that consists of murderers and polygamists and adulterers and prostitutes, Gentiles, idol worshipers. There's evil and wicked kings that, that come from his family line. And it would be from this line that Jesus would burst into human history. What a great picture of God's grace. What I want us to do over the next few minutes is we're going to look at several of these characters that we found, that we find in Matthew chapter 1. Let's begin with King David. David, we know, was not perfect. David is listed first because Matthew wants to establish the royal right of Jesus to the kingly throne before he establishes anything else with his readers. We know that David was not a perfect man. He was far from perfect. I mean, think about some of his indiscretions. I mean, probably the greatest would be um, when when he had an affair with a married woman, Bathsheba. And then um, after he finds out that um, she's pregnant, what did he do? He calls for Uriah one of his main military leaders, and he invites him to come back from battle to sleep with his wife because he wants to cover up his sin. Well, Uriah was a man of character, wasn't he? And he, he told King David, no, I'm not going to do that. And as a result of that, what did David do? He sent Uriah to the front of the battle line, and what happened to him? He was, he was killed, wasn't he? David made many mistakes. 
as all of us in this room have. Yet it would be of David that God the Father declared him to be a man after his own heart. And it would be from David's line that the king of the universe would burst into human history as Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 9. We read, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Notice the second person Matthew mentions. He mentions Father Abraham. Not only does Matthew connect Jesus to King David, but he reaches back even further to Abraham. We have spent weeks studying about Abraham, if you recall, um, as we've walked through Genesis together. And we know that Abraham was far from a perfect man. We know that he was God's man set apart in human history to be the father of of a, a, a nation of people. But we know that Abraham made mistake after mistake after mistake. But even though he made those mistakes, it would be from the seed of Abraham that the Lord would declare these words to He said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This man of faith on two separate occasions lied about his wife Sarah. He told two different pagan kings that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. We know that that was kind of a half-truth or a half-lie, however you want to look at, but it was still a lie because Sarah was indeed his wife. These two men certainly had shortcomings. But God made Abraham the father of his chosen people and David the father of the royal line from whom Christ Jesus would burst into human history. As we walk through these verses together, we see story after story of God's grace. In addition to many men mentioned in this messianic line, there are also five women mentioned. This is significant because women were often left out of genealogies. And these five women, except for Mary, The mother of Jesus had very sordid past, didn't they? Folks, God is a God of grace, isn't he? He takes us with our warts and all and redeems us by his grace and sets us apart for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice the the stories behind these women. First of all, there's Lady Tamar. She presented herself as a prostitute to her father-in-law, Judah. And as a result, she gave birth to Perez and Zerah, both listed in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 1. Next, there is Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab was a Gentile prostitute from the city of Jericho. She hid the spies from the king's servants. And because she hid the spies, when the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho and they shouted, every portion of that wall was destroyed with the exception of Rahab's home. The only people to survive the destruction of Jericho were Rahab and her family. They were covered and protected by God's grace. God's grace would not only spare Rahab and her family, but she would also be grafted into the messianic line. And she would become the great, great grandmother of King David. Then there's Ruth the Moabite. Ruth is my wife's, um, one of my wife's favorite characters in all of God's word. 
Ruth also was a Gentile. Ruth, following the death of her husband and her father-in-law, would follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, from the land of Moab into Israel. And she made this declaration to Naomi after Naomi tried to get her to stay behind and, 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 and to take another husband. She, she, she did not do that. She, made the, she said these words, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth would be redeemed into the family of Israel by Boaz. They would have a son and name him Obed. Obed would have a son and name him Jesse. Jesse would be the father of King David. The last woman listed besides Mary is not mentioned by name. She is simply described as being the wife of Uriah. And of course, we know her to be Bathsheba. Bathsheba would become part of the messianic line as a result of an affair that she had with King David. The child whom they conceived through that affair would die. They would have another son, and his name was Solomon. And he would be the next king of Israel after his father David. We, we could continue to walk through this list of names and look at all of their indiscretions. I don't think these people are listed just because of their failures. I think they are listed because of God's great grace. They're listed to show us that God can take the worst of all offenders and redeem them and save them and use them for his great good. And that goes for each and every one of us in this room. Regardless of your past, God can redeem you and set you free from the bondage of sin and save you and give you the gift of eternal life. He not only can do that, but he wants to do that as well. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we read, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You can become a child of the king this morning. And you, too, can be grafted into the family line of God. This genealogy concludes with Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Jesus was God's plan for you. Jesus was God's plan for me. Yesterday, we um, celebrated the life of Pat Foster. And um, I had the opportunity to, to preach her message, but also to read her obituary. And her obituary is, is full of a bunch of names of people that make up her family and made up her family. But what I loved about her obituary was that at the very end, her family put the Bible verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus burst into human history for us because of his great love for us. He burst into human history for every single person outside the doors of this church because of his great love for them. Just as Jesus is God's plan for you and me, his plan is also for them. And as we know, God's word makes it clear that we have been set apart at this particular time in human history to take the gospel to them, right? 
I pray that all of us over this Christmas season will do what we see probably as impossible. Sometimes we get a little scared to share the good news of salvation with other people, don't we? I pray that all of us will muster up the strength and we'll allow the Lord to use us to share the good news of salvation with others. In verse 16, we read, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Let's just take just a real brief moment here and look at each of um, these three names. First, there's Joseph, the entrusted father of Jesus. And we're going to look at each one of these, not the biological father of Jesus. However, Matthew gives a genealogy of Joseph because genealogies were traced through the man and not through the woman. Matthew is showing his readers that Jesus was legally qualified by genealogy to the throne of David through Joseph. Then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And like all of the other women mentioned, we know Mary was chosen because of her righteousness. She was chosen from every other woman in human history to give birth to the king of the universe. What a true blessing that would have been as well as an incredible burden. I know I've shared with you before as we've walked through Mary. I mean, can you imagine being given the responsibility of, of, of carrying Jesus for nine months and then giving birth to Jesus and then raising Jesus? Man, I, I know I've told you this before, but I accidentally dropped my kid on their head one time, okay? Um, she's still messed up to this day probably, all right? But can you imagine the responsibility that Mary had and the pressure that she had to raise Jesus? No pressure, right? We know the birth of Jesus was an impossible birth because Mary had not known a man, nor would she know a man at conception because God breathed life into her womb. Next, we see that Christ was the promised Messiah. In Matthew chapter 1, this chapter gives us a picture of the birth of a nation, the birth of an earthly king, and the birth of a heavenly kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is ours to be inherited. John 1.12, Jesus said, But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, or John wrote these words, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know Jesus this morning? Think about how huge Christ's coming to earth actually was. He left heaven full of all of its glory and perfection. He came to this earth born into a family of sinners, yet he was without sin. He came in order to redeem the world, in order to save you and I. He literally stepped out of heaven stripped himself of all of his heavenly glory, clothed himself in humanity in order for you and I to come to know him in all of his glory. I want to read an illustration with you. King James V of Scotland would on, on occasion lay aside the royal robe of, 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 of a king and put on the simple robe of a peasant. In such a disguise, he was able to move freely about the land, making friends with ordinary folk, 
entering into their difficulties, appreciating their handicaps, sympathizing with them in their sorrow. And when, as king, he sat again upon the throne, he was better able to rule over them with fatherly compassion and mercy. Though he put off a royal robe and took on a beggar's coat, his royalty remained. He did not cease to be a king. He is more of a king when we recognize such compassion and grace. And that can be said of Jesus as well. He allowed himself to be clothed in the flesh in order to die for our sins, as Philippians 2 declares. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we read, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that amazing? Isn't the story of, 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 of redemption amazing? That our God loved us so much that he stepped out of heaven and became one of us. Yet he wasn't like us because he was perfect. And it was because of his perfection that he was able to become the sacrificial lamb for all of us in this room. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come and place your faith and trust in him. Let's stand together. I'm going to be here at the front. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, thanking you, Lord, just for the opportunity to gather together around your word, to study it. Father, thank you for leaving heaven full of all of its glory and coming and dwelling among us. Father, we know, Lord, that none of us in this room are perfect. Every single one of us have made mistakes. But every single one of us can be redeemed and set free. Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Today will be the day that they repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come.